Amen. You may be seated. I am going to jump right in this morning throughout the text this morning, throughout the sermon this morning. I'm going to be asking you a question over and over. Where is your treasure? We're going to be in Matthew chapter 19 this morning. We're going to concentrate on verses 16 through 30. I hope you have your Bibles with you, and I hope that you will follow along. Uh, if not, if you don't have your Bible, the text, the entire text, will be on the screen. So let's jump right in this morning. Matthew chapter 19, beginning in verse 16. If you are physically able to stand with us this morning, would you stand right now to honor the reading of God's Word? Verse 16, and behold, a man came up to him saying, teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And he said to him, why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. If you would enter life, keep the commandments. He said to him, which ones? And Jesus said, you shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, All these I have kept. What do I still lack? Jesus said to him, If you would be perfect, go sell what you possess and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful. For he had great possessions. And Jesus said to his disciples, Truly, I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished, saying, Who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said, With man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. Then Peter said in reply, See, we have left everything and followed you. What then will we have? Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, in the new world when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on the twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. You may be seated. Now, as we prepare to drill in and look at each verse briefly this morning, I want to explain one thing at the very beginning that hopefully will make part of this text make a little more sense. You see, the Jews of this particular day, they believed that there was some one good thing that a person could do that would absolutely guarantee them eternal life. Again, I want to be sure you get this. The Jews of this particular day... They believed that there was some one good thing that a person could do that would absolutely guarantee them eternal life. So we see in this verse that this young man comes up to Jesus, and the first thing that he addressed Jesus as is teacher. So that's a sign that this man respects him. But he is seeking. He wants to know what this one thing is. I believe this young man knows that he wants eternal life, 
but he doesn't know what he has to do to get it. And so he's asking Jesus, tell me what that one good thing is that I've got to do. And, you know, as we look at what's happened to us as a society throughout the years, I'm not sure a lot has changed as far as the perception that many have as to how you get to heaven. And the reason I say that is this, if you spend very much time talking to other people about Jesus Christ, and if you ask them the direct question, how is it that a person goes to heaven? You are likely to hear right here in Greensburg, Kentucky, people would say you've got to be a good person. Or I've got to do more good than I do bad. That's how I get to heaven. Folks, I'm going to tell you, I want to address that right now so that is not looming in anybody's head for the rest of this message. If you think that's how you go to heaven, you are so very wrong. There is one way and only way, one way that we get to heaven, and that is through Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. In John 14:6, Jesus speaks and he says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Folks, that's it. It's Jesus, only Jesus. That is the only way that we will get to heaven. It is not possible for us to do enough good stuff to get there. It is not possible to do more good than bad and get there. It's Jesus, only Jesus, that we get there. Verse 17 Jesus talks back to this man now, and he says, Why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. Keep the commandments if you would enter eternal life. Now, at this point, this young man still does not get what Jesus is saying. Perhaps some of us don't get it either. When we look at what our definition of good is, Can we all agree that it's changed, unfortunately, over the years? What my grandparents would have defined as good, a lot of people right now would think that would be pretty radical. Vice versa, what some of us today might define as good, my grandparents would have thought was heresy. And it is heresy. Can't we just get that out of the way As I say every time I preach or I intend to, I believe the Bible is true from cover to cover. I believe it is the inspired and the inerrant Word of God. Society might change, but God's Word does not change. It will not change. So what do we think about what is good, what is not good? Let's suppose that we are in a classroom right now, and we know that we're going to have an exam. So as as we get ready to prepare for the exam... Maybe we're thinking something like, do I really want to study and make a hundred on that exam? Or is 90 good enough? Is 80 good enough? Is 70 good enough? And if we entertain that thought process long enough, we will probably start asking ourselves the question, what is the minimum score that I can make to pass the class? That's really what we find ourselves, we will spiral down that path. Now, I want to go out of the classroom for just a minute, because a lot of times if you're having that thought process, you're probably praying, Lord, please let the teacher grade on the curve. I want to tell you this morning, Jesus doesn't grade on the curve. He does not grade on the curve. And if you're expecting him to, 
you've got a surprise coming. And it will not be a good one. It will not be a good one. So let's step out of the classroom for just a minute. And let's suppose we're talking about Jesus. Now, I think all of us would attest this morning that when we want Jesus, we want 100% of Him. When we feel like we need Jesus to show up, we don't want 90% of Jesus to show up. We don't want 60% of Jesus to show up. We want Him all. But what about if we reverse that thinking? How much does Jesus really have of us? Does he have 100%? If he has anything less than 100%, I want you to know this morning he's not satisfied. 99.9% of Jesus is not good enough. It's not good enough. I want to share with you a quote from one of my friends, Dr. Tommy Mitchell, that I saw just in the last few days that grabbed my attention. I want you to listen closely as I read this. One of the challenges of the modern church is that many in the body of Christ really don't care to be bothered by Christ. They don't care to be moved by Christ. They don't care to be directed by Christ. As long as He can be served without interfering with our busy schedules, fine. But if Christ makes any type of demand on our lives, He's expendable. No wonder the modern church is weak. Because you know what? Jesus demands everything. He is not satisfied with anything less than that. So as we move to verse 18, again, Jesus has answered this young man, and he tells him to keep the commandments. When he said that, he means all of them. Keep all of the commandments. But we see in this verse that this young man is pressing Jesus. He wants to know which ones, Jesus, which ones do I need to keep? So Jesus answers him. He gives him a short list. Again, Jesus means keep all of them. But Jesus answers this man. He's telling him, don't murder. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't bear false witness. Honor your father and your mother. And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I want to spend just a moment talking about that one. Because that's a big one. I'm not going to ask anybody to raise their hands this morning to tell me whether or not you love your neighbor as yourself. But if I'm just being completely transparent with you this morning, there'd be many times I couldn't raise my hand personally if I really... Answered that seriously. Do I love my neighbor as myself? Do you ever stop to wonder how different would our lives look if we did really love our neighbors as ourselves? How differently would history look if we had truly loved our neighbors as ourselves? Do you ever stop to think, what would gossip look like if I really did love my neighbor as myself? What would pride in my life look like if I really did love my neighbor as myself? What would hatred look like if I really did love my neighbor as myself? What about this one? What would racism look like if we truly did love our neighbors as ourselves? It looked drastically different, folks. I don't have time to go into it this morning, but we can't pretend to believe 
that we think racism doesn't exist today. If you've read the national news or if you've watched the national news this week, you know it hasn't ended. If you want, if you want more information on that, I would be glad to talk to you after the service. But what would this area look like if we truly did love our neighbors as ourselves? I'm going to tell you, it would look drastically different. Drastically different. Verse 20, the young man said to him, all these I have kept, what do I still lack? Now that's a bold statement this young man has just made to Jesus. He has just told him, Jesus, I have kept every one of these commandments. What do I still lack? Maybe that's how you feel this morning. Maybe you think you're doing a pretty good job of honoring God in your life, but you know that there is something still missing in your life. I wonder this morning, where's your treasure? Where is your treasure this morning? Maybe the question is, what is your treasure? Who is your treasure? But this young man, when he talks to Jesus right now, I believe he's serious. I believe that he truly believes that he has kept each of these commandments. But at the same time, he knows that something is missing in his life. And we're going to see here in just a moment, I don't know about the rest of the commandments, but there is at least one of those commandments that he was having problems with, but he didn't realize it. We see in verse 21, Jesus says to him, If you'd be perfect, go sell what you possess and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come Follow me. Now, this gets his attention. Would it get yours? It would get mine. But I want to be sure you understand when you look at this text, Jesus did not tell this man to simply give what he had to the poor. That's not what he's saying. Honestly, I think it might have been a little bit easier on this man if that is what Jesus told him. But it's not. Jesus tells him to go... And to sell what he possesses and give to the poor. I wonder, do you think it might have been easier for this young man, if he didn't have much, to do that? I do. It would be easier for most people. Do you realize that the very fact that you live in the United States of America, in many places of the world, you're considered rich? Simply because you live here. If you don't believe me, I'd encourage you to go on a foreign mission trip. You will come back and your view will have changed. I will guarantee you that. Many times those people have next to nothing, but they're willing to give you what they've got. They are willing to give you what they do have. And then after Jesus tells him, go sell what you possess and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven... And by the way, then come follow me. Come follow me. I want to be sure that you understand this morning. He is telling us that same thing too. He expects us to come and follow him. How much of the time? 100% of the time. Not 90%, not 80, 70, 60, 50 or worse. He wants us to follow him. I wonder this morning... Where is your treasure? Where is our treasure? Where is my treasure this morning? Verse 22, when the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful. 
for he had great possessions. So I wonder this morning, do after hearing this, that he went away sorrowful, do we really think that this young man loved his neighbor as himself? Now, he thought he did, possibly. But did he? No. Otherwise, why would he have gone away sorrowful if he truly loved his neighbor as himself? And then in verse 23, we see something that Jesus routinely does. He uses this moment as an opportunity to teach his disciples to pour into them. And I want to ask you the question this morning. Who's pouring into you? Who is pouring into you personally in your life? And another question is, who are you pouring into? You see, one reason that we talk so much about those original disciples... By the way, do you realize if you're a Christian, you are a disciple of Jesus Christ? But one of the reasons that we talk so much about those original disciples is because 11 of the 12 truly did get it, I think. They allowed Jesus to pour into them, then they poured into other people, and those 11 people, they changed the world. They changed the world as it was known in those days through the process of discipleship. I wonder, who are you pouring into? Who is pouring into you? But Jesus teaches his disciples here. He says, truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. So, there's been so many theological discussions about what's Jesus mean when he says the eye of a needle. Is he talking about a sewing needle that you would put thread through? Possibly. Is he talking about some narrow gate somewhere that it would have been almost impossible or impossible for a camel to have got through? Possibly. But let me tell you something. It doesn't matter. It does not matter which of those two it is or if it's something else. What does matter is those initial disciples understood what Jesus was talking about. In my opinion, Jesus is using a literary tool here. I'm going to write it down for you. And then it's called a hyperbole. Maybe many of you are familiar with what this is. It's an intentional exaggeration. For instance, if I should call somebody's name right now and say, they are older than dirt. Now, I think every one of you is going to understand that I mean it's an old person. But would there be anybody in here who would truly believe that that person is actually older than dirt? No. What if I were to say, it is so hot outside today that I am on fire? Now, we would, we would realize that it's hot, but would anybody believe that I'm actually on fire? No. It's an intentional exaggeration. I think that's what Jesus was doing with his disciples. He gave them an example that was so um, extraordinary that they would know it couldn't be done. And that's exactly what we see in this next verse, verse 25. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished, saying, 
who then can be saved? Who then can be saved? Maybe they were wondering at that present time, where's my treasure? What's my treasure supposed to be in? Maybe you're wondering this morning, my goodness, after hearing all of this, after hearing that you've got to keep all these commandments, how is it possible? You realize that when we're talking about keeping the commandments, it's not a checklist. It's not I honor my father and my mother one time in my lifetime, check it off, and I'm through with that. That's not how it works. It's 24-7, 365 days of the year. How is it possible to do all that? Here's the answer. It's not. It is not possible. We need Jesus. Jesus tells his disciples right after that in verse 26, with man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. With God, all things are possible. Now, I will tell you, this verse is sometimes taken out of context. Many times when we try to justify some type of sin in our life. Many times this verse will get quoted when we don't realize why God is not showing up and answering a particular prayer request. God, you said with you all things are possible. How come it's not happening? Sometimes we need to search within And do some repenting and confessing first. And then there are other times when we need to realize that God sees the big picture. He knows way more than you do, than I do, what's best for us. But with God, truly, all things are indeed possible. And then we see Peter speak up. You know, it doesn't surprise me at all that it was Peter. That spoke up. We see throughout the scripture several times that Peter seems to be the, I don't know if you would call him the spokesman of the disciples, but he usually has no issue speaking up. Now, there's sometimes probably Peter should not have spoken up, but this is when I believe Peter is truly having a heart to heart conversation with Jesus Christ. He's saying, Jesus, we've left everything and followed you. Do you realize this morning, he, he's telling the truth. They, they really did leave everything to follow Jesus. They, they did. They, they left everything, life as they knew it, to follow Jesus. So he says, what then will we have? So Jesus answers and he says, Truly I say to you, in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on the twelve thrones, Judging the twelve tribes of Israel and everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake will will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. So you may look at this and say, a hundredfold? How do you calculate that? You know, maybe I want to put on my accountant's hat and say, hundredfold based on what? The amount in my bank account? The amount of my assets? Hundredfold of what? And I'm going to tell you, it doesn't matter. It truly doesn't matter. Because you see, one of the things that we are sometimes so guilty of, we try to somehow calculate an eternal reward using our human measuring tapes. That's not how it works. That is not how it works. Do you realize this morning 
that heaven will be so much better than you think it will be. There is no way that our minds can even comprehend even a fraction of what it's going to be like. You know what? I I truly do believe that heaven, the way it's described in the Bible, it's like that, but I believe it's better. But you know, once I get there, I'm not sure that I'm going to care if the streets are gold or not. I don't, I don't think I'm going to care that they're, that they're gold. You know what I will care though? I'll care that Jesus is there. I will care that Jesus is there. And that will make it all worth it. I wonder again, where is our treasure this morning? Where is our treasure? And I want to leave us this morning with verse 30. And I think this verse can be very chilling. I think it's one of those verses that can hit us right between the eyes. But many, not some, not a few, many who are first, who are currently first, will be last. And the last first. Many who are first will be last. And the last verse. I wonder this morning, do you know Jesus? Where is your treasure this morning? Where is it? Is your treasure truly in Jesus Christ, the King of kings and the Lord of lords? Or is your treasure in something here that's earthly, that is tangible, that you will not be able to take with you? I wonder this morning, where is your treasure? I wonder this morning, are you absolutely certain that if you were to take your last breath today, are you certain that you're going to take your next breath in heaven? This is a big question. It's a serious question. It is a question that I'm telling you many people have gotten wrong. Many people have gotten wrong. There are so many people that try to justify their current situation and just say, Todd, you've got it all wrong. A loving God is not going to send me to hell. You just need to realize I'm going to work it out my way between me and God. Be careful with that. You may go to hell on your own way. It's not worth, it is not worth taking a chance on that. I wonder this morning, do you know Jesus Christ, the King of kings and the Lord of lords? Maybe there's people here this morning, you can't answer that question. Yes, I know him. If that's you this morning, I want you to come forward during the invitation. You see, receiving Jesus, asking Him to come into your life, it truly is as easy as we tell children in Bible school that it is. It's the ABCs of Christianity. I would love to lead you through that and introduce you to Jesus. Brother Blake would love to introduce you to Jesus this morning. Maybe there are other people here this morning that you've realized, hey, my treasure is not in the right place. My priorities have been all wrong. If that's you this morning, praise God that you've recognized it. Guess what? Jesus is waiting for you. He's saying, come home. Come home. Let me have 100% of you. He's here today. I wonder, do you know him? Does he have 
100% of your life. And maybe there are others of you here this morning that have been visiting with us for a while and you want to unite with Greensburg Baptist Church. Come forward and let Brother Blake and I know. We would love to talk to you about membership in, in Greensburg Baptist. Whatever your need is this morning, I hope that you will surrender to him. One of my prayers daily is that we will not walk into this place and expect to leave the same way. No matter who you are, whether this is your first time here or if it's your millionth time here, we should never think we have arrived at the point with our relationship with Jesus that we don't need to be transformed when we worship him. Will we let, will we let that happen? I pray that we will today. Would you pray with me, please? Father, thank you so much for this day that you've given us. Thank you for bringing us to this place this morning. Father, I pray right now that your Holy Spirit will just move throughout this place. Lord, I pray that you will um, convict hearts. Lord, I pray that you will convict lives. Lord, I pray that we will be willing to lay our burdens down at your feet and leave them there. Father, I pray for the people this morning that are not able to say that they know you as their Lord and Savior. But I pray that this will be the day that they will make the most important decision of their lives. And Father, I pray for the people that might be hearing my voice this morning that had previously believed, yeah, I made that decision, but realized that they really didn't. Father, I pray that pride will not keep people in their seats this morning. Lord, I pray that the only thing that we will be concerned about is 100% worship of you, our King of kings and our Lord of lords. And it's in your name I pray. Amen. Decided to follow Jesus. I have.